You're listening to the Five Questions Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Shawbell. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is the chef and founder of Mamufuku and the star of Netflix's Ugly Delicious, David Chang. Since opening Mamufuku Noodle Bar in New York City back in 2004, he's been honored with six James Beard Awards and has been recognized as a Time 100 honoree. In this episode, David opens up about his many life struggles as he illustrates in his new memoir, Eat a Peach. You had a lot of insecurities in your childhood, such as not being a great chef and feeling like an outsider as a Korean with mostly white chefs around you. How were you able to cope during this dark period in your life? And what did you learn about yourself in the process? Well, I think the coping mechanisms when I was you know, cooking and even before cooking, just high school to college and just my formative years, I think it was coping by, by trying to like, not be me. I think weirdly coping mechanism is running away, um, whether it's from problems or your own identity. And I, I became incredibly adept at doing that. And um, honestly, to the point where I, I would just like move places thinking where a fresh start would uh, allow me to uh, maybe blame other problems. Maybe it was my location without actually realizing the difficulty of the surroundings or whoever I was at the time, which was, you know, when you're a kid, you really still know nothing. And even at the age of 43, I still feel like I know nothing. I think the other forms of met coping were incredible amount of drinking and drug use, because when you are not with them and not trying to fit in, you are just trying to have an alternate form of reality. Right. And in, in some ways it's just like numbing and, and, the more I think about it, you're just coping with loneliness, even though you might be surrounded by people. Everyone has their own ways of coping, and that's just how I, I, I happen to do it. And I think ultimately the best way I, I cope with it, which was when I wasn't sort of running away or you know, drinking, was just working, blending in by working hard so you don't have any time to think about anything. Yeah, and that leads perfectly into the next question. As I said, you're extremely self-aware through the passage of this book. You said in the book that working so hard was a side effect of depression. And I felt like that during my 20s, working over 100 hours a week, work, you know, and I'm sure you can relate, was your outlet. How did your mental health issues motivate you to become a successful chef? You know, I think in the book, I say something like, uh, you know, being an, an addict to work is the same addiction, right? Uh, being an addict is an addict. The one thing that is peculiar about being a work addict is at least for myself and some people that I've seen, when you are at the top of your profession, that is the, the peak of your addiction, right? Like, you know, that's actually the bottom, like you bottom them out by actually hitting the peak. Whereas if you are, say, a heroin addict, you might be like, you know, lost everything and no money and no family and that would be bottoming out. And the weird thing about work and it being socially acceptable is it's seen as this prestigious type of thing. The one thing about depression and I've learned, and if I am self-aware, it is because it's a lot of work. It just didn't happen naturally. It was a lot of therapy and a continued amount of therapy. I needed to work because it was tangible. It was like stepping on a scale and trying to lose weight or something. It was something that I could focus on and pour myself into so I wouldn't have to think about anything else because like, I felt there was progress. Even if it was like, turning the keys to a locked door, opening up, like the, just the, the minutia in an aggregate sort of 
made me feel like I was accomplishing something. All I was doing was, again, running away from my problems. Well, and the thing about mental health is it's not like physical health when people can actually physically see a scar or you ill, it's happening inside your head. And so if when everyone sees, you know, you become this very successful chef, multiple restaurants, winning all these James Beard awards, they're not seeing what's going on in your head. You're feeling that. And I think there's a, there's, it's a feeling of loneliness, but it's also, you know, it can make things worse at the same time because people expect you to be like this person that they see as successful. They're not seeing what's going on beneath the surface. 100%. And there's a line by uh, Will Oldham in the song, I See a Darkness, which sounds incredibly dark. And it is a very dark song. And there's a line in it that's very powerful, you know, in a paraphrase, you know, to pull the smiles inside just because you seem happy just because you're laughing on the outside does not mean that it's reflected what's happening inside. And I thought this was really fascinating. In your book, you explained that despite your success, you felt like you created your own prison because you were a workaholic with numerous responsibilities, the restaurant, the book, the, the show, having a kid. Plus you've had restaurants shut down. So right now in this current you know, climate, it's been even harder. Now that you've reached the top of your profession, what are some ways that you think you can escape the prison you created for yourself? I don't know what that escape is. Um, I'm still trying to understand why I feel that pain and the pain from work and the pain from stress, the, the suffering of anxiety is a good thing. It is something that is desirable because it is a kind of idea or slash truth that has never failed me. It is a constant, which ties into why I like to hurt myself physically or mentally, even when it should be a situation where that's the, the furthest thing that I should do to myself. It's again, the, it, a weird way comforting. Like, I don't think I could ever come to this realization without doing all the things that I've done and burning myself out as much as I have. And then realizing this might have worked in the past, but it doesn't work anymore. I'm at a current place in my life where everything on the other side, everything I want is on the other side of fear for me. I think that in some ways, this definitely parallels with Buddhism in a lot of ways. I have to unprogram everything I've thought about or everything I've learned. And I'm scared because if you do that, there's no guarantee that anything's ever going to work again. So you're caught in this paradox, this conundrum. What do you do? And then I think about indecision and I think about the Bhagavad Gita a lot. The worst thing you can do in your life is to be indecisive of action. So I'm trying to learn to encourage myself to move forward with doing things that I'm not supposed to do. And in a more like less pseudo intellectual way, it's like being George Costanza a little bit in that Seinfeld episode or just being the opposite of who you're supposed to be. So if that means maybe um, doing something else, then that's what I have to learn to really embrace. Can you describe the complicated relationship you have with your father, uh, what you mm. learned from him and his just overall impact in your life? My dad was a very hard man and I'm, I'm learning to forgive because I think a lot of immigrant kids, particularly Asian Americans and particularly Koreans, because there's no sort of monoculture in, in that sort of Asian American identity. I forget that he was a war refugee. I forget that he lost relatives to war and lost everything. My mom lost everything. And they came to this country to start anew 
And when everything's been taken away from you, you just want normal. You just want something that cannot be taken away from you. So his whole goal was to work, to accumulate enough money to take care of his family. And that was his North Star. Everything else was secondary or didn't even matter at all. I have to remind myself that he was a product of an abusive culture. <laughs> and the reality is, is he was instrumental in, in my life, both good and bad. And the only way he showed his love was through support financially. And upper middle class, that's how he wound up after a crazy career. And, you know, and, and, and I made sure that it was going to be something I had to pay back because the last thing I ever wanted to be perpetually in debt to my father. And what's your best piece of career advice? Do what you want to do. Do whatever makes you happy and don't look back. Life is too short to not do what you want to do. And if you then choose to do it, pour yourself in it enough where you're not going to wind up in the middle. You should be aiming to be the best. You should be comfortable with failure. You just should not want to land anywhere in between those two points. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, David. To follow his journey, you can read his memoir, Eat a Peach, and find him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where he shares his latest recipes, pictures of his family, appearances, and his restaurants.